Good afternoon. Uh, thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here, and we're listening to Business, the Law, and You, with thanks to our sponsors, Markey Insurance. As always, we've got an interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll be having a look at a couple of our Harvard Business Review reports that uh, could help us uh, boost our business a little bit. We're also talking with Christina Sikiotis about the Hunter Innovation Festival that's on next week. But right now, we're going to have a chat with John Woodward from the Hunter Mediation Service about insurance law. Good afternoon, John. Hello, Julian. How are you? I'm well, and thank you once again for joining us. That's all right. You're welcome. So uh, I, I suppose the area we really want to talk about is is a lot of people these days run the risk of invalidating their insurance cover. Um, they do more than run the risk of it, Julian. They actually do it. They oh. invalidate their insurance cover. And, and um, I, why I thought it, it might be an interesting thing to have a chat about today is because uh, despite the fact that we've had... Um, you know, over the years, a lot of given a lot of advice about this. It still seems to bob up from time to time. The problem, basically, is uh, for business people, particularly people who own commercial property or people in business, is that they enter into contracts themselves, and um, the contracts have um, what are referred to um, generally as hold harmless clauses. But um, that's a bit cryptic, really, because what it really means is that they agree in business contracts either to indemnify other people who are not part of their policy or they um, extend um, cover of their own insurance policy to others with whom they contract. So the net result is for the insurance company is that if they allow that sort of thing to happen, it would be just expanding um, the insurance company's um, cover to an unlimited extent or an unknown extent. And, of course, that is usually an exclusion clause. So uh, in any contract, and um, they won't they won't let you do it. It's probably probably worthwhile if I just give you a couple of examples of the kinds of ways in which um, that can happen. Mm. Um, you take, for example, it, it's very common to see it in the building industry where you have construction contracts and and, um, and a chain of contractor subcontractor subcontractor and so on down the line. You get um, the main contract sets out a provision that the uh, you know, the head contractor has to indemnify the principal against any damage or public liability, you know, any liability at all, any problem under the works. Mm. And what the, what the principal contractor does is to try and pass that on down the line so that his own insurance premiums don't get too high. Okay. So he'll have a, a clause in his contract which says, if you, the subcontractor, um, uh, you know, you indemnify, you agree by our contract that you will indemnify me Against anything that happens on the site, whether it's whether it's uh, your fault or someone else's fault, mm. and they say okay, and they just sign off on the contract, uh, usually without reading it, a common problem, and off they go. And then someone falls off a ladder and is injured, um, makes a claim against the head contractor, and he hands it to the subcontractor and says, "Well, it's yours. You agreed to indemnify us." And, Subcontractor says, "Yeah, that's fine." Off he goes to his underwriter. The underwriter says, "Sorry, we didn't know about this. We're not we're not going to cover that claim because that's a claim you invited by extending our risk." Yeah. And and um and and the poor old subcontractor finds himself uninsured against the risk that he's agreed to to undertake. So that's the that's the rationale. That's 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 um, the, the, the thought behind it. And, and this but could even be a case. Uh, this could even be the case where the employee that was injured off the ladder, for example, wasn't even their own employee. 
That's right. Yeah. It, it, that's right. The, the whole concept of insurance really is that uh, contracts are, unlike any other contract, insurance contracts are in con- uh, contracts of good faith, which means you, you must, um, when you're proposing insurance to an underwriter, um, you you must disclose everything that's relevant to mm. the underwriter's risk that is that the underwriter is adopting and mm. taking on. You pay a premium. The underwriter agrees to to cover you for certain risks, and only those risks, not anything that goes beyond that. Or if you go off then and extend the risk in some way by putting you know holding other people harmless again, uh, at the at the cost of your insurance then uh, you'll find that you're not insured at all because mm. um, you, you, your insurer doesn't have to um, cover those risks unless you have previously um, gone on to your broker or, or, or your underwriter and, and said, I'm proposing to enter into this building contract or this contract. Um, can you please give me a quote on, on what it's going to cost me to extend my cover to include liability under this contract? You can do that. So, so, so the reason, I mean, you've made the comment there that people often don't read these contracts, and of course they're, they're sometimes hundreds of pages long. Um, yeah. Do, does it also mean the situation where they're, they're in a situation where if you don't sign this contract, you don't get the job? That's right. I mean, the, the marketing, um, the public, you know, the marketing issue is always a large one because, um, and, and you, you know, you, you, when I give this sort of advice to builders, they often say, "Well, that's all very good, uh, you know, the, the legal things to be complied with." But um, you know, if I don't sign, the, you know, the contract's not negotiable. I'm a little, um, you know, mum and dad size small business company, and um, I'm dealing with one of the large, major uh, contractors. They're not going to change the contract for me. Mm. They, 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 you know, that's that's the contract. If I want the job, that's it. I've got to take it with all the conditions. Mm. And the answer to that is, well, you know, that, it, it, that's you then have to decide whether or not you're prepared to take on that risk yourself as an uninsured uh, worker or whether you're going to go off to your own um, underwriter and see if they're prepared to agree to have you extend their liability. And if, if they are, there'll be a premium. They might say, well, you know, because they, they work out the premiums for insurance Risk, contracts yeah. on the basis of actuarial figures and so on. And if you're, if you, if you're going to just be insuring yourself and, um, you know, your two subcon, your, your two employees, that's one thing. But if, if when you go to do the work, you're going to be insuring 100,000 other people, it's another thing altogether. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, the, that's the reasoning behind it. And that's why, why it happens. But still, it happens in unusual ways. Um, another example I, I, I had um, in my professional career as a lawyer was was um, where um, a commercial property investor uh, was leasing his uh, property out to um, through the through the management of a real estate agency, and on on the back of the real estate um, management agreement was a little clause that says, "and the principal hereby indemnifies the agent against any loss or damage occurring through the agent's inability to lease the premises or any act of negligence on the agent's part." Mm. And and without even reading the back of the you know the fine print, um, my client in, you know leases this property, and 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 uh, the 
agent negligently leased it to somebody who didn't comply with the terms of the lease, didn't pay the rent, didn't have his own insurances in place, and then went broke um, so that, uh, you know, the landlord didn't even get the rent. The next thing that happened is that we find out that a visitor to the premises, the, the lessee's visitor, customer, um, fell over and caused some injury to himself, and the only person left standing was the landlord. Mm. And he said, well, that, that was the agent's fault. I'm sorry, the agent's got this indemnity clause. And, um, um, the, you know, the principal's uh, insurer said, well, you didn't tell us you were going to sign that agency agreement and uh, we're not going to indemnify you against any loss sustained by some visitor who's sort of three links down the chain. So I suppose the, the, the bottom line for it all is uh, we need to, A, a read contracts, and if there's uh, things in the contract we don't understand, we need to be talking to our, well, particularly a solicitor or maybe uh, our insurance broker or the insurance company themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's the, the take-home from it all. You, you, you need to... Um you need to uh, do those things, really. Read everything. Yeah. Um, don't accept liability without getting your insurer's consent. And if you're unsure about what to do, go and see a lawyer or go and see your insurance broker or your insurance underwriter. Right. Well, thanks very much for your time again, John. We'll That's have a chat, right, we'll have a chat with you again you. another time. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. John Woodward there from Hunter Mediation Service. Yeah, that's a, probably a little loophole there that a lot of people getting caught in is uh, signing those contracts, A, without reading them, but which is obviously very, very dangerous, but uh, um, assuming that we're, the insurance company is going to take risk when, of course, they're not. And it's 24 minutes past one. You're listening to Business, the Law Renew on 2NURFM 103.7. Time to pop over to Christina Sikiotis for our discussion on innovation. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you today? I'm very well. And yourself? A bit cool? Yeah. Than that, it's, uh... <laughs> it, it is cool, but at least it's sunny. Oh, you wait till Sunday, 13 degrees they're looking at. Oh, fantastic. Can't <laughs> and, a ch- and a chance of thunderstorms as well. Throw it Excellent. Not, not my favourite weather, <laughs> let me tell you. Be a, be a day indoors watching TV, I think. It will, it will indeed. Now, next week is, uh, the, I think it's the third, isn't it? Third Hunter Innovation Festival? Well, actually, we're, out, we're up to number eight, number eight. In, the, oh, okay. in the whole scheme of things, yeah. Um, but in, a, in its current iteration, I guess it, it's number it's number three. We hmm. um, took, a, took the concept from the, um, from the Innovation Festival that was happening around Australia, um, and it used to be a series of events um, that, that were potentially a bit random. You know, they, everybody would have some kind of event in May. It used to be in May, um, and any event that was happening in May potentially was put under the banner of the Innovation Festival. Okay. The last three years, so you're absolutely correct, the last three years we've, we've tried to put a bit more structure around it so that it's um, more a, a series of events over a few days that are specifically... Um, potentially put together for the festival or have a real focus on innovation, not just things that are, that have been placed into a program because. So, so, yeah. so have you got a few uh, highlights there that we can, uh, we can direct listeners to that they might want to come yep. along to? And then of course next week we can discuss some of the things that happened. Yeah, sure. So the, the festival launches on Tuesday morning with a breakfast at Watt Street Arc. Um, and it's, all around smart ideas. So we've, the, the theme around the festival this year is smart ideas. And 
instead of kind of focusing, you know how we keep talking about the word innovation and it kind mm. of is associated sometimes with a lot of fluff and everything, we've tried to take it a, a, a little bit away from just the term innovation into smart ideas, smart cities. There's a whole push um, globally and locally for to with the smart cities concept. I think we talked about the, what was going on in Derby mm. Street um, a few weeks ago. Um, but So the smart ideas launch happens in the morning. We've got a... Um, Jennifer Holland is our is our guest speaker, uh, and she's going to be she's from Throat Scope. So what Throat Scope? Um, what she did was she took her daughter to the doctors, watched the doctor throw a um, the the torch and the tongue the tongue depressor down her daughter's throat. Saw the whole thing being very uncomfortable. Went home. Went. There's got to be an easier way. Um, came up with a throat scope, the the device with a, it's a so it's a depressor with a light on the end of it. Oh, yeah. So two devices turned into one. We might have mentioned that a couple of weeks ago as well. Mm. So she's our guest speaker. She was on Shark Tank, um, and what happened with her on Shark Tank? She got some fantastic feedback. She said um, very constructive. So she'll be talking about that experience. But even better, what happened was there was a company in America who has since take a note of what she's doing, and, and they've taken quite an interest in her product. So the whole idea about opportunity, where it can lead, she'll be our guest speaker um, there, and we'll also be highlighting the the winner or the three finalists, sorry, in the um, Smart Ideas competition that the Herald's been running. Mm. Uh, and we had we had over 30 entries, so that was pretty fantastic. And some of them were incredibly simple, Julian, but incredibly effective. Okay. Um, so potentially we could even talk about some of those in a few weeks. Tom, I was just going to say, that's, that's, that's probably a good subject for next week is uh, yeah, it, yeah. what were those, some and of those it, ideas. So, so like we have, we have three finalists, but they didn't all, you know, they, the, there were more than three great ideas within, that, within, yeah. that, um, within the entries, yeah. So, so uh, if people want to know more about this uh, um, Hunter Innovation Festival, there's a website? Yeah, hunterinnovation.biz um, is for the full program. So there's a smart cities event with the Internet of Everything. Um, there's a, a event potentially after my um, after my heart with a um, breaking through the gender barrier, women in innovation. Mm-hmm. That's going to be hosted by Melinda Smith um, with Belinda Smith, um, who who is an advocate um, for women's rights. Lisa McGuigan, who's a yep. female entrepreneur. Dr. Nicola Bowden. Um, so some great speakers throughout the week. Excellent. Um, all highlighting innovation in the in the region. Okay, well we'll have a chat about it after the event next week. Okay, terrific. All right, I'll look forward to talking to you then. Thank you, Bubba. Bye bye. Bye. Christine Zikiadis there, just highlighting a couple of those points there for the Hunter Innovation Festival. It does get better and be- bigger and better every year, and if you're interested, you need to have a look on their website. Well, now it's time for our management tip of the day from the Harvard Business Review, and uh, this one's looking at tough conversations, and it's interesting uh, how we can handle those sometimes. Look for the emotional cues during tough conversations. Many managers take a rational approach to handling tough conversations at work. This means they often fail to pay attention to the emotions involved. But when emotions are ignored, they can derail everything. Let's say an employee is underperforming and needs to be coached. Before you and he feel... Oh, sorry. Explaining before he, he be, be, sorry, before explaining where he's falling short and setting goals for improvement, pause to think about how both you and he feel. Acknowledge his disappoint, how disappointed you are, and consider how scared and threatened he might be. 
Doing this will help you notice, once you sit down, that his arms are crossed or that he looks worried. This suggests he's already on the defensive, so you should try to establish a connection or more upbeat tone before addressing the issues. Launching right into the performance likely won't lead to a productive coaching conversation. Recognising small emotional cues like these will help you respond proactively and adaptively. So I think that applies in any conversations. Being able to read that body language and adapt accordingly can often lead to much better results. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll have Steve Markey on the program with another aspect of insurance and Christina Sikiotis looking at the Hunter Innovation Festival and some more business and legal news and views that affect, might affect your business. I'd love your company again for the same, at the same time for business, the law and you. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and, as Dale Carnegie once said, act as if you were already happy and that will tend to make you happy.